Okay, we'll begin. <clears throat> Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Actually, before I begin, um, am I coming in okay to everybody? Uh, and nobody's hearing me too loud or anything? No? Okay, good. We set it up a little high for Bhanteji, so I didn't want to blast you guys out with my louder voice. <clears throat> okay, friends, so welcome to this second day of Bojanga retreat. Uh, Bhanteji started it off yesterday, um, going through the 37 factors um, and uh, 37 wings to awakening and then talking about sati. So my job today is going to talk to you about the second um, factor of awakening, which is Dhammavichya. So um, Dhammavichya is translated uh, a variety of different ways, but I'm going to talk to you uh, about the translations through uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi. And those of you who have read the Nikayas, like the Anguttara Nikaya, Samyutta Nikaya, um, you know, you've uh, probably noticed that he uses a couple different definitions depending on the book. Um, so he <coughs> translates Dhammavichya as investigation of states or discrimination of states. And both of those uh, translations are actually valid, um, as you'll see as we go through the, the talk. Um, Bhikkhu Bodhi defines Dhammavichya as the scrutiny of the mental and physical phenomena presented to the meditator's mind by mindfulness. And uh, just to go over the, the two words real quick, Dhamma, right? What do we mean by Dhamma in this case? Dhamma is a word that can mean different things depending on the context. Um, you know, when we hear, we hear the Buddha's Dhamma, right, his teaching. Uh, the Dhamma is also considered to be the, the truth of the nature of reality. Um, but in this context, Dhamma is translated as states or phenomena. This is all the experiences that we can have through these six senses. Um, so all of these phenomena are Dhamma. And uh, <coughs> Vichaya uh, is often uh, is translated as search, investigation, or examination. Um, or investigation. Uh, so, uh, those of you um, who might study a little Pali, you might notice that uh, vichaya shares a root with another important word. It's uh, vipassana. The v, uh, vi root uh, prefix is a what they call a prefix of separation and expansion, which means again this can mean a couple different things depending on the context of the word. So the V in Vipassana could, uh, uh, well, first of all, um, Vipassana, the second part of that is Pasati, comes from Pasati, which means to see. So the V uh, could mean to see apart, Vipassana could mean, and that is where the discrimination definition comes in, too. Discrimination meaning to um, see a difference between the various um, parts to note a distinction. And the V could also be an intensive, um, which would make Vipassana meaning to see deeply. Right? We know that Vipassana is not just seeing. 
um, or just basic knowledge. It's seeing deeply. Um, and so, therefore, vichaya could also mean investigating deeply or investigating thoroughly. <clears throat> and this is to investigate deeply all phenomena that we can experience. So to see deeply, you must investigate thoroughly. So uh, Bhante-ji has a, uh, a definition for Vipassana that I think fits perfect um, with Vichaya. In, in mindfulness in plain English, he defines it as this. Looking into something with clarity and precision, seeing each component as distinct and separate. There's the discrimination part. And piercing all the way through so as to perceive the most fundamental reality of that thing. So you can see how these two words, uh, vipassana and vachaya, are tied together um, in this manner. So what does the Buddha say about dhamma-vichya? It says, whenever one investigates things internally with wisdom, examines them, makes an investigation of them, that is the enlightenment factor of discrimination of states. Sounds pretty similar to uh, what Bhante Ji read yesterday about sati, right? Because it is, it all comes from the same sutta. So, whenever one discriminates things externally with wisdom, examines them, makes an investigation of them, that is also the enlightenment factor of discrimination of states. So what do we mean by internally and externally here? Internal is these senses, the sense bases, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind. (coughs) The external bases, sights, sounds, smells, tastes, tangibles, thoughts. So we are examining the external and the internal. We are investigating these. And when we do this, this is when the factor of awakening of Dhammavichya arises. And so Dhammavichya um, fits perfectly where it does in the, the lineup of these seven because you need mindfulness to begin this investigation. Right? Mindfulness is the prerequisite for these seven factors of awakening. Right? Mindfulness when you are mindful, when you are clearly aware, when you are recollecting, when you are in that state, you see things differently. You notice things that you didn't notice before when you were going around heedless. And when you see new things, that naturally, um, that naturally builds up a desire to investigate these things in your mind. And so once, and once we do our investigation, that leads us to have energy to do something about that, to change our habits. And energy will be the next topic tomorrow. But, <clears throat> so, what is the mindset of an investigator? Dhamma Vichaya uh, lies at the core of what is called the Arya Paryasana. Arya Paryasana means noble quest. What is the noble quest? The noble quest is the quest for liberation, the quest for awakening, for freedom. And this investigation is at the core of this. 
because you cannot see things as they truly are if you do not investigate this reality, if you do not investigate these, the internal and the external. So this is a quest to think, you can think about it as like being an explorer, right? Or being a, an, an investigator, a police investigator, or a scientist with a microscope, whatever you like to, whatever situation you like to think about in that regard. But this is something that we do. It's not something that we sit down on the cushion and then it just happens. This is an active quest for the betterment of our own minds, for the cleansing of our own minds. Even if we don't, you know, probably not all of us here are, are gung-ho, like, I'm going to be awakened but in this lifetime. But all of us are here because we want to, to do something um, to move towards making our minds a little bit brighter, which allows us to have more peace and contentment. So <clears throat> this quest is very, very important. And on this quest, there's no, there's no blind faith. There's no, you know, nobody can do this quest for you. Nobody, you know, there's no something to just believe in and then, you know, it happens. This is a quest, this is something that you have to do for yourself. And uh, with regards to this, I wanted to speak briefly about the, um, what is called the Kesaputtaya Sutta. Um, most people understand it as the Kalama Sutta. And um, in this Kalama Sutta, <clears throat> the, the, uh, there's the people of Kalama uh, at the time have lots of different teachers that come and visit them. And lots of people, and they all come and they teach their their teaching, and then they denigrate the other people, saying, "Ah, oh, you know, this teaching is the best. That teaching is all these other teachings are wrong." And so the people were confused. And so you know, they heard, "Oh, the Buddha has a good reputation. Let's ask him about these things." And uh, you know, they go up to the Buddha when he was visiting, and they say, "You know, all these people come here. They say this. Well, how do we know what's right? How do we know what to do? What do we do?" <clears throat> and the famous, this is a, a very, very well-known and famous um, paragraph, uh, often misquoted or mistranslated, but here we'll go through the, uh, the cur, at least a, a good, a better translation than what may, many people hear. It is fitting for you to be perplexed, Kalamas, fitting for you to be in doubt. Doubt has arisen in you because of a perplexing manner. Come, Kalamas, don't go by oral tradition, by lineage or teaching. So the Buddha is saying, he's going through all these aspects and he says, don't just trust them because of their innate nature in society. Right? Oh, this is, this is an old, old oral tradition. It must be right. It must be true. Don't trust a, or a lineage of teaching. This lineage goes back all the way, whatever. So we should trust this by hearsay or by collection of scriptures, by logical reasoning, by inferential reasoning, or by reasoned cognition. He's even saying don't trust your intellect either, your perception, your reasoning, because when you investigate these things deeply, you realize how untrustworthy they can actually be.
by the acceptance of a view after pondering it, by seem, seeming, the seeming competence of a speaker. Just because somebody can be in front of people and speak very well doesn't necessarily mean you should trust everything that they say. Or because you think this ascetic is our guru. But when, Kalamas, you know for yourselves these things are unwholesome, these things are blameworthy, these things are censured by the wise. These things, if accepted and undertaken, lead to harm and suffering. Then you should abandon them. But what is the Buddha telling them here? The Buddha is telling them to investigate these experiences, to know for yourself, to understand. Does this thought does this action lead to my benefit and the benefit of others or to the harm of myself and others? And of course, he also in here um, puts in those are, that are centered by the wise. Sometimes it is good to make sure that those who are wise and that you can trust, that you can um, see what they think about these situations. And so then the Buddha um, continues with them. He leads them through an investigation. He goes through, what do you think, Kalamas, when greed or hatred or delusion arises in somebody's mind? Is that for the somebody's benefit or for their harm? And they go through and they think, well, it's probably for their harm, etc., etc., etc. And then in the end, they understand um, you know, this, this practice to understand and to, to see, investigate these phenomena and these actions for themselves. And so the, uh, the Buddha and the Dhamma are open for us to do this. Right? I'll go over briefly some of the qualities of the Dhamma. The, the Dhamma that we chant every day, qualities of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Um, some of the qualities are sanditika, which means it's directly visible. It means when we do our investigation, we can see this phenomena. We can see that we can have these experiences directly visible within our experiences. You know, it's, it's not something that is hidden away or something that has to be given to us. Um, we can see this. The Dhamma is directly visible. It is unaffected by time. This investigations that we do in our practice right now is not that different than what they did thousands of years ago. Right? Human nature and greed, hatred, and delusion has not really changed much in that time. So this is a Dhamma is timeless. And Ehipasako, which means calling one to come and see. That's the key one there, right? It's that somebody is not the, the Buddha is not giving this knowledge, this wisdom to you. The Dhamma is calling you to come and see it for yourself. And to do that, you have to do an investigation. So, what are we investigating? Basically, everything. <laughs> We are investigating absolutely everything within our realm of experience. Right? We're investigating our six senses. We're investigating 
our um, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, mind? What are, the, what are the feelings that we have and related to those? What feelings arise when we have contact with external things like uh, sights, sounds, the tastes, odors, tangibles, thoughts, these kind of things? What, are, what is the experience of that? What does that do to our mind and our body? We're investigating the Four Noble Truths. Right? The, Buddha's, the Buddha's definition for um, the uh, eradication of ignorance is uh, the full understanding of the Four Noble Truths. So we're investigating dukkha. Right? We, come, we want to investigate all aspects of dukkha. We want to come to know it fully, understand it fully. We're investigating what the cause of our dukkha is, our suffering, and that is our craving. Right? We want to understand craving, fully understand, fully investigate it. Watch what it does. Right? I spoke, I was and basically unintentionally talking about craving yesterday, right? When I was talking about the, the mindfulness of eating, talking about watching what that does while you're sitting there and you're hungry and what it does to your mind and body and fully investigating this craving. And we're not, we're not doing these investigations in some kind of metaphysical, magical level. This is just right there in our experience every day. <clears throat> it always is. Most of the time, we don't have the mindfulness and we're not heedful enough to see these things. We see them and we understand them only when we do have this mindfulness. So what else do we understand? What else do we investigate? Bhanteji said it yesterday, right? Uh, for when he talked about uh, Vipassana briefly. What is uh, Vipassana? What is uh, wisdom? It's understanding the three characteristics of existence. Right? We investigate these three characteristics of existence. First, that all is anicca, all is impermanent. This is ever-changing. It is um, undependable. It's, there's nothing that you can grasp onto. Grasping onto something that's impermanent is like trying to put your hands in a bucket of water and hold onto water or hold onto sand. What happens? It just slips through your fingers. That is impermanence. We investigate how... Every experience, everything that we know and see, is it impermanent? Is it changing? Or is it permanent? We investigate that. You know, the Buddha says, of course, all conditioned things are impermanent, but investigate that. See it for yourself. Right? Also, because of our grasping of these, to these impermanent things, all of these things become our dukkha. Our right? uh, dissatisfaction, suffering, however you want to um, translate it. And so what is this dukkha? What is this suffering? What is this unsatisfactoriness? And of course, one of the, <laughs> one of the biggest things to investigate is the third characteristic, characteristic of existence is not self. Right? How do we investigate this real belief that we have this self, that we are this permanent being. Okay? So these are the things we're investigating. 
Right? And these are the teachings that the Buddha laid out for us to understand and to investigate. Of course, Paticca Sampada, the, the links of dependent origination. You know, how craving arises, where does it come from? You know, why we're born, all these kind of things. Investigating these things. Investigating our five khandas, the aggregates. Form, feeling, uh, perception, mental formations, consciousness. Investigating these constituent parts of what make us up. Right? And of course, uh, one of the the greatest investigations that the Buddha gave for us to practice is the Satipatthana, right? the four foundations of mindfulness, investigating the body as the body, not as how we want the body to be or how we wish the body would be, but just the body as the body, investigating feeling as feeling, mind as mind, mind objects as mind objects. So the Buddha gave us all of these teachings in one nice, big, wonderful package for us to investigate these things on our own. Right? He's not, he, he is not telling us, he's not, uh, he can only show us. And he gives us these teachings and we have to put these teachings into our practice and investigate them for ourselves to see this. And so... Um, those of you who read the suttas, you might uh, have seen this many, many times. The Buddha, often throughout the suttas, uh, tells us what we should know or what we should examine in our experience and all these phenomena. And there's five things. He wants us to understand the arising and the passing away. So how something comes to be. What conditions are, are, are in place for something to arise how something passes away, the phenomena experience passes away. What conditions are there for this phenomena to pass away? Also, the gratification of that experience, the danger of that experience, and the escape of that experience. So these five things the Buddha uses for everything, throughout the, the, the Nikayas, so you'll say, what is the gratification, the danger, and the escape for the, the senses, for the khandas, all of these things. So this is an important um, teaching, this important guideline um, for our investigation. <clears throat> and the Buddha says this, Before my enlightenment, while I was just a bodhisattva, not yet fully enlightened, it occurred to me, what is the gratification in the world? What is the danger in it? What is the escape from it? And just as a, a quick note, um, most of the time when the Buddha is talking about the world, he's not talking about like planet Earth and all these kind of things. He's talking about um, what he calls the all. The all is everything that we can know and experience within our six senses. That is the all. That is the world. We cannot know anything outside of these six senses. So this is what the Buddha is talking about when he talks about the world. What is the escape from it? Then it occurred to me, the pleasure and joy that arise in dependence of the world, that is the gratification of the world. So of course we have lots of experiences with things in the world and we, they're gratifying to us when they bring us a content, peaceful, happy experience 
Um, and so this is, it gratifies us, right? Things that uh, are uh, like sensual pleasures, that's, the, the, that's really <laughs> the summation of it, sensual pleasures. We, uh, we are gratified by these things. And uh, that the world is impermanent, suffering and subject to change. That is the danger of the world, right? The danger is we become attached to these things that are impermanent. We become attached to these things. We want more. We are gratified and we want more. And so the danger is that we harm ourselves in this chase after these things. And the removal and abandonment of desire and lust for the world. This is the escape from the world. So I'll use an example of an ice cream cone. Right? What's the gratification of an ice cream cone? You know, the gratification, it gratifies our senses. Right? The sight of it reminds us of previous ice cream cones that we've eaten. The smell, the taste, all of these things. We know ice cream cone, well, Maybe not for all of us. Some people probably don't like ice cream or ice cream cones. But for most of us, ice cream cone equals gratification of sensual pleasures, good tastes, good smells, good experience, all these things, right? So what's the danger in that? Right? We have our ice cream cone. A couple things can happen. You're, you're eating the ice cream cone, and then it just falls on the ground, right? And then you're dejected. Oh, I lost my ice cream cone. Or you eat the ice cream cone, and then what happens? Maybe you're satiated for a while, but the desire comes again. Right? Oh, I want another ice cream cone. Oh, I love ice cream. I want more. So, what is the escape from this whole cycle of, uh, <laughs> I don't know, the whole cycle that you get tired of it, right? The gratification being flung between the gratification and the danger. The escape is, letting go of the desire for that ice cream cone. If there's no desire for that ice cream cone, if you have it, okay. If you don't have it, okay. Whatever happens, it's okay. And so you see in this, one of, one of the, uh, the charges that, are, that is often thrown at Buddhism <clears throat> is that um, in Buddhism, you know, the Buddha taught us to deny pleasures or you know, all these kind of things. Uh, it's the opposite. The Buddha is telling us that these pleasures that we have in our life, he wants us to know them, to understand them. That doesn't mean, I'm not saying that he, Buddha says we should all go out and be hedonists and all that kind of stuff and, and do all that stuff. But he's, he wants us to understand these. Not, you know, it's like, oh, I, I, I like that ice cream cone. I'm such a horrible Buddhist because I had, a, you know, attachment feelings and all these things. No, he wants us to understand this. To understand, because it's only through our understanding through our investigating of this, that we develop the wisdom to move beyond it. And so this is an important, um, important aspect. And the Buddha continues, he says, I set out seeking the gratification in the world. Whatever gratification there is in the world, that I found. I have clearly seen with wisdom how far the gratification in the world extends. I set out seeking the danger in the world. Whatever danger there is in the world, that I found. I have clearly seen with wisdom just how far the danger in the world extends. I set out seeking the escape from the world. Whatever escape there is from the world, that I found. 
I have clearly seen with wisdom just how far the escape from the world extends. So this is exactly what I was talking about. The Buddha is explaining that he saw all of this. He understood. He investigated all of this. And indeed, he says that, you know, I did not claim to have, uh, you know, become fully awakened until I understood the arising and passing away, the gratification, the danger, and the escape of the world. So this, is, this investigation is not a denial of the reality, it's the understanding of reality, understanding of how our psychophysical organism works and how we interact with our environment, how what we do with all of these, the, this phenomena, this experience that we have. Not only the experience itself, but how we react to that experience. <clears throat> so there's a, a wonderful simile that the Buddha gives um, that is, I think, very apt regarding investigation. It's uh, from Samyutta Nikaya. It's from the sutta um, called the King, uh, Kinsuka Tree. And he says, Suppose there was a king or a royal minister who had never before heard the sound of a lute. He might hear the sound of a lute and say, Good man, what is making this sound? So tantalizing, so lovely, so intoxicating, so entrancing, so enthralling. They would say to him, Sire, it is a lute that is making this sound. So tantalizing, loving, intoxicating, etc. And he would reply, Go, bring me that lute. They would bring him the lute and tell him, This is that lute, the sound of which that was so tantalizing, lovely, etc. The king would say, I've had enough with this lute, man. Bring me just that sound. The men would reply, This lute, sire, consists of numerous components, of great many components, and it gives off a sound when it is played upon with these numerous components. That is, in dependence on parchment and sounding board, the belly, the arm, the head, the strings, the plectrum, and the appropriate effort of the musician. So it is, sire, that this lute consists of numerous components, of a great many components, giving off a sound when it is played upon with its numerous components. So it's dissecting the sound, investigating the sound. What causes and conditions come to be for this sound to come to be? <coughs> And so the, the king begins his investigation. The king would split the lute into 10 or 100 pieces. Then he would reduce them to splinters. Having reduced them to splinters, he would burn them in a fire and reduce them to ashes. And he would winnow the ashes in a strong wind or let them be carried away by the swift current of a river. Then he would say, A poor thing indeed, sir, is this so-called lute, as well as anything else called a lute. How the multitude are utterly heedless about it, utterly taken in about it. Right? This is the, the, the king has investigated. He has developed wisdom. He understands. And he says, well, how can people who are heedless, people are heedless, they don't understand. They're not investigating. So <clears throat> the Buddha says, so too, a bhikkhu investigates form to the extent that there is a range for form 
any kind of form, internal, external, any kind of form. He investigates feeling to the extent that there is a range for feeling. He investigates perception to the extent that there's a range for perception. He investigates volitional formations and consciousness to the extent that there is a range for volitional formations and consciousness. So, investigating all of these aspects is extremely important. Okay, so now we can talk about how um, we do our investigation. And so <clears throat> the Buddha uh, in the suttas talks about uh, nutriment. Bhanteji talked about the nutriment uh, for and the denutriment for sati yesterday. I'm going to talk about the nutriment and the denutriment for investigations. Right, the Buddha talks about this in the way that just as we need food for this body, or a car needs gas to move, right? When we feed this, this happens. When we don't feed this, that happens. And so he says, what is the nutriment for the arising of the enlightenment factor of discrimination of states? And for the fulfillment of development for this factor? There are wholesome and unwholesome states, blamable and blameless states, inferior and superior states, dark and bright states with their counterparts, frequently giving careful attention to them is the nutriment for the arising of the unarisen enlightenment factors. So, <clears throat> if you want to nourish your investigation, discriminate. Examine these wholesome and unwholesome states. Right? This is... Uh, Kusala Dhamma and Akusala Dhamma. Kusala and Akusala is, are translated as wholesome and unwholesome, skillful, unskillful. Right? You are investigating these states. <coughs> and remember, the discriminate is to note or observe a difference, to distinguish between. So we are distinguishing between skillful and unskillful. And the, uh, <clears throat> there's a sutta in uh, Majjhima Nikaya, number 19, Dvedavataka Sutta, two kinds of thought, where the Buddha does exactly this. And he teaches us to do exactly this, to understand, to investigate, and discriminate between these two. <clears throat> and he says, uh, this is him as before he was a Buddha, when he was a Bodhisatta. <clears throat> he says, suppose I divide my thoughts into two kinds of thoughts. On one side, I'll divide, I'll put thoughts of um, sensual desire, ill will, and cruelty. Right? Sensual desire, ill will, and cruelty are what we would call wrong intention. Right? These are unskillful, unwholesome thoughts, mind states. And so he says, well, I'll, on the other side, I'll put thoughts of letting go, of renunciation. Thoughts of goodwill or metta and thoughts of non-cruelty or compassion and so he is discriminating these states he is understanding and investigating these two types of states right intention and wrong intention unskillful and skillful states mind states <clears throat> and he continues he says you know as i thus 
uh, I remained thus heedful, ardent, and resolute. As I did this, I noticed that these thoughts, unskillful thoughts, arose in me. And when I noticed that they arose in me, I noticed, I investigated, and saw that they are for my harm and for the harm of others and for the harm of both. He says that they, it harms his concentration. It harms his ability to meditate. And it does not lead to Nibbana. And when I investigated this, it subsided. And so he says the likewise. When thoughts of, um, when skillful, wholesome thoughts arose in him, he investigated them. And he saw that these thoughts lead to the benefit of myself and others. They are not harmful. Even if he thought those thoughts for a day and a night, those thoughts were, were very skillful and would lead to good benefit. <clears throat> and so he says, after that, he says, whatever a person frequently ponders upon becomes the inclination of their mind. Okay? So if you... Um, ponder upon unwholesome, negative, skill, uh, unskillful states, then that becomes the inclination of your mind. And we are doing this investigation to understand these states and to understand that they are harmful or that they are beneficial. And if they're harmful, what do we do to put forth effort to change those unskillful states? And uh, you might notice this is also exactly what the Buddha was leading the Kalamas down in the Kalama Sutta. Right? He, was in, he was showing them, he was asking them to investigate. If somebody does this, is this for their benefit or for their harm? Right? The Buddha is inviting us to come and see this for ourselves. He is exhorting us to investigate this, to know these things fully, just as he did. Because that is how he understood. This is how he gained wisdom and how he became awakened. And we can do that very same thing. We can follow down that same path. We can investigate the same mind states, the same skillful and unskillful actions and experiences that arise in our mind. Right? In that regard, our mind is not very much different than the Buddha's mind was. Or the people who, the disciples who followed the Buddha afterwards, everybody who's followed this path before us, who has done this investigation, we're following in their footsteps. We're doing the same investigation that they did. And so this is what the Buddha exhorts us to, to do, to follow this. You know, the famous saying is, the Buddhas cannot, uh, cannot, uh, do it for you, do the work for you, they can only show you the way. So this is the importance of this. So in closing, friends, I'd just like to um, close up by reminding that uh, Dhammavichya is this core part of this area Pariyasana, this wonderful quest towards our freedom, towards the, the cleansing of our mind. It's, uh, this takes... Um, this requires, this quest requires a desire to be an explorer. An explorer, not of, you know, human beings have explored everywhere externally, right? We've explored the land and the sea, and we're even in space now. 
very few of us have explored the internal world, the inner world, what's going on with our mind and our body. Very few of us sit down and explore and investigate this. This is what we are all doing here. This is an important, um, an important activity, a very meritorious activity for the, benef- the benefit of ourselves and for others. And this also requires having a, an open mind. When we investigate, again, we, are, we're not, we don't want to investigate with, um, we, want, we usually want to see things or want things to happen the way we want them to happen. We want to see things how we want to see them. Right? When you do a, a truly, a true investigation, an investigation um, with an open mind, whatever comes up, you can see this. You know, there's no, um, if you had a closed mind, if you have really uh, attached to your views in a closed mind, if you had an, uh, an insight when you're investigating and you have an insight of, into not self, right? What do you do? Right? Oh, I believe that there's a permanent self and I'm not going to believe any otherwise. And, and so this harms our practice. So keeping this open mind and working to do an investigation <clears throat> that is, uh, to the best of our ability, free of, um, I guess you would call it an objective investigation, or I would call it an equanimous investigation, an, uh, an investigation free of likes and dislikes, seeing things as they truly are. That is um, what is required for true wisdom and insight to arise. Okay, friends, so I wish you uh, much success on your own spiritual journeys. And te patipada mahapalani, which means may your practice bear great fruit. I will be doing the Q&A today. So if you have any questions, anything about Dhamma, feel free to uh, write those down and I'll do my best to answer them. And uh, we'll come back in 